Oh, good morning. Um, I'll start the message in just a few minutes, but uh, we're all really pumped about a day that's coming up. So if you haven't got this on your calendar yet, let me, let me get you to go ahead and, and, and put it in there in ink. Um, on August 24th, <clears throat> we're having a really exciting day <clears throat> here at New Spring. And uh, just real quickly, uh, I know this is the middle of our three services. Could I just point out that on August 24th, we only have one service and, of course, that would have to be outside because we couldn't fit all three services in this building at one time. Um, and, and we're just asking the Lord for really, really nice weather that day because if we have bad weather, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, a, it's a special day we call Watermark. And it's going to be a day where a lot of people who attend New Spring are going public with their faith. And as I'll be talking about in a few minutes, and by, when I get there, act like you haven't heard this, okay, because... I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. When, when, when a person receives Jesus Christ, as we've been singing about today, it's a, it's a very spiritual and personal thing. And it's very private. It's individual. It can be invisible. It's just a commitment of the heart. Every weekend I pray, and, and many people pray to receive Christ with me at the end of the service. But you could, you could be sitting next to someone who's accepting Christ and not know it. So you, the most important decision you can ever make can be an intangible, internal, invisible decision. But baptism is going public with it. It is that step of faith of saying, I want everybody to know I'm identifying, which by the way, that's the name of our brand new series, Identify. I'm identifying with Jesus. And right now, I think there are like 110 people who are about ready to go through that step going public. So we're going to have an awesome day. Yeah, go ahead and give, give God praise for that. Um, and it's not too late. If you like hear one of these messages these three weeks and you're saying, hey, I need to take that step. We've got plenty of time for you. We're doing an outdoor baptismal. We're, we're not baptizing in church unless the weather's bad. Um, we're going to baptize outside just like they did in the first century. It's going to be a great day of celebration. After it's over, we're going to have you know, time together as a church family, hot dogs and hamburgers and a lot of fun stuff for the kids. It's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. But here's two deals that I need you to think about. Number one, it's at 1030. Right now, we have three services, and none of them are at 1030, so it's going to be a change for all of us. It's at 1030, one service, and then I need to ask you this. To, and we're going to have some seating, but we really need, if you can, to bring some chairs, lawn chairs. If you've got the little folding chairs, you know, bring those. Bring some for you and bring some for friends because we're just going to have... I, forgive me for breaking sense. I was just in the staff meeting this last Monday, and I asked the leadership team. I said, when was the last time you guys were ever in a service where 100... It was like 103 at that time. 103 people followed in baptism. And all the staff said, we've never seen anything like this before. In fact, the most we've ever seen in a baptismal service was the last watermark here in New Spring. So it is going to be a phenomenal moment and a real meaningful, meaningful time. And so I want to encourage you to be here for that service. Well, I said a few moments ago, the name of our series is Identify. Identify. And uh, today we're going to be talking about what identifies you. If you're on an airplane and you're sitting next to somebody, a stranger, and, and you start talking and you realize that that stranger is wanting you to identify yourself, how do you identify yourself? If I were to ask you this morning, who are you? And I want you to tell me about you. What would you tell me about yourself that identifies you? Now, I know we all have identification on us, don't we? I mean, we have driver's licenses, we have credit cards, we have things, whereas if we need to present some sort of identity, some of you wear lanyards at work, some of you are in the sophisticated environments where it's voice print or thumbprint that identifies you. But what would it be if I were to ask you, at the core of your existence, what is it that identifies you? You would say, I am blank. What would identify you? For some of us, we would be identified by geographic things, where we came from. 
I, I am an American. I am British. I am a Brazilian. I, I, you give me a little slack, please, here. I came from Texas, as you know. And uh, I know Texans are insufferable, but please understand, it's just bred into us, okay? It's just bred into us, so at least it especially was when I was a kid. We used to cycle in school. We would have one year of world history, one year of American history, and a whole year of Texas history. Guess which one I liked. I think three years of, of my time in school, three years from elementary school on, I had a year of Texas history. It just bred into us. And old men would come up to, to boys, you know, in Texas especially, and they would say things like this with that, you know, that Texas draw. Son, never ask a man if he's from Texas. If he's from Texas, he'll tell you. And if he's not, there's no sense shaming the man. I mean, that's what we were taught from when we were children. But that doesn't do me much good anymore because I live in Kansas. I am a Kansan. See, that's the thing about these identities that we pick up along the way. They tend to be partial and fragmented. For some of us, your identity comes from what you do for a living. If I were to ask you, who are you? You would say, I am an electrician. I am a doctor. I am a plumber. I am an engineer. I'm an architect. And I could go on and on throughout this church. There are probably hundreds of occupations that are represented here in our three services. And for many of us, and and typically men do this more than women, we we draw our sense of self-worth often by what it is that we do for a living. But how many of us here have been out of a job? How many of us here have had to change careers? How does that work when you identify yourself by something that changes or doesn't fully explain you? Today we live in a world where people are very open about their sexuality. And sometimes people use sexual terms to identify themselves. Someone will say, I am gay or I am heterosexual. But is that really enough to identify who we are? Do we identify ourselves by the way we have sex? Isn't there something more? We have all kinds of ways of identifying ourselves. We identify ourselves by what we do for hobbies or our races or or all kinds of ways. We sort of pick these things up along the way. And here's why it's so important. Identity is one of the most primary needs of human beings. People will kill for an identity. People will die for an identity. What else explains gang life? People are desperate to identify themselves in meaning. Why? Because here's the deal. When you come up with who you are, it is your, it is your explanation. It is your reason for living. When you identify yourself at its deepest core, that is, like, that is tantamount to saying, this is why I have a reason to take up square footage on this earth to breathe its oxygen and use its resources. I have a reason for living this is who I am. But how many of us on this August morning in Kansas are really sure of who we are? In the daytime when the day is buzzing and hopping and you're being called on, your phone is ringing and somebody's texting you and all this stuff, hey, it's pretty easy not to think on those terms. But when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and your mind is in that deep, that deep moment where you're really thinking about stuff that you don't think about any other time, Who are you? Do you know? Or do you struggle and wrestle to know who you are? And do you say to yourself things like this, if I could just get this house, I would know who, I mean, we don't use those terms, but if I could just get this house, if I could just get into this career, if I could just break in here, if I could just graduate, if I could just find somebody that was, you know, who I need to be with, 
maybe I would know who I am. Well, for the next three weeks, we want to talk about who we are and who we have the potential to be. I'm never good at these existential kind of things. I'm too much of a concrete thinker, but I, I, I did think about this. And let me try this and see if it helps. I am who I am to the most important person in my life. I mean, have you ever been at work and somebody just like chewed you out, called you everything under the sun and made you feel wretched? And then you get in your car and you drive away and you say, it doesn't matter what that guy thinks. What matters is my wife and my kids. And you get home and then she chews you out. No. Um, <clears throat> I want to take you to a text in the Bible. And this morning, this isn't going to be like a regular Mark sermon where I'm like, talking to you. Today, this is a workshop. I I believe, and even if you don't agree with this, it's okay, but I just want you to know where I'm coming from. I believe the Bible is God's word. And and I am who I am. As I said a moment ago, if I am who I am to the most important person in the world, then I am who I am to God. Whoever God tells me I am, that's who I am. And so I want to take you to a text. I'm going to read from the message this morning. I usually use the New Living Translation, but the message translation is so good. So would you just hang with me for a few moments and read these texts? I know you may not have a copy of the message. If you don't, it's okay. These, these will be up behind me on the iMag. Now listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. By means of his, that's God, by means of his one spirit, we all said, these are people who put their faith in Christ, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. So for all of us who identify ourselves by, by stuff that's, you know, that, that may not last. I mean, I, I was thinking a few moments ago when I talked to you about occupation. I have a friend in Texas. Um, he's elderly now, but for 30 years, he worked for a major company that provided grocery items. And so if you were to go to a grocery store, you would see the company he worked for. And he was an executive for them, and his whole life was wrapped up in this particular product. He, he, he would not allow his daughters to buy a competitor's product and bring it home. He would just lose it and go ballistic. I remember that because I was a kid at the time. But after 30 years of working for this company, they kicked him upstairs and basically just bought him out and just crushed his spirit. A year or so later, I was in his house, and he walked in. He had a whole bunch of cartons of his competitor's product. And I said, man, what's the deal? He said, it was on sale. (laughs) Now, this is what the Bible is talking about. The Bible says that when we embrace Christ, we say goodbye to all those partial and piecemeal identities that we've picked up through the years. Oh, look at this. This is so cool. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he, that's God, has the final say in everything. And somebody could like shrink back from that a little bit and say, ooh, I don't know about this thing about God having the final say about everything. Number one, it's good because God is always right. He's God. He knows the future. And number two, when the doctor comes in and tells your family you're dead, you're going to love the fact that God has the final say on everything. Because God will say, no, he's not. No, she's not. This is what we proclaimed in word and in action when we were baptized. So, you know, on August 24th, when we watch those 120, 150, 200 people, when they're baptized, this is what they are saying. We just read this in the Bible. They're saying, we have said goodbye to those piecemeal and partial identities that really don't say who we are. And we've embraced a whole new identity in which God has the final say in everything. And we're living that life. Now, that's where, look at this. This is exactly what I'm talking about, the last part of this verse. Each of us... 
is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all came to drink. Here we go. The old labels, which we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger and more comprehensive. To that, I raise my hand and say, I do too. I need something larger than American. I need something larger than minister. I need something larger than grew up in Texas. I need something larger than adult attention deficit disorder. All the stuff that, you know, that identifies who I am. And you are the same way. Isn't it true that we need something larger and more comprehensive? How many of us have been pigeonholed? Somebody like tried to put us in a box and put a label on us. And you want to say, but I'm so much more. That is what a relationship with Jesus Christ does. Guys, every weekend, I know I say this all the time. You probably get nauseous hearing me say it. But I hate religion. I really do. I hate religion. Religion is man's flailing attempt to try to connect with God. This book is about God's desire to connect with you. God wants to give you a life that's so much bigger. In fact, that's what Jesus said. You know, the the Bible says about Jesus, he didn't come to condemn the world. We were screwed up already. He came to give us life. He said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it to the max. Oh, this is good. I wish I knew how to preach. This is so good. So who is this identity? What is this identity that we have? I mean, because the writer has said, we need something bigger. We need something bigger than where we come from, who we are, what our race is, what we do for a living. We need something more comprehensive. So what is this identity that we have? In Galatians chapter 2, this is one of my life texts, and so I just want to read it to you this morning. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, this is out of the New Living Translation. Uh, this is Paul, who was maybe the greatest man and the greatest thinker outside of Jesus Christ. Um, and so he's going to talk about his own life, and, he, and, he, and he's going to talk about this identity, this bigger, more comprehensive. He said, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. <laughs> how many of us can say, yep, that's how it is with rules, man. <laughs> when I try, it just messes me up because it just shows me I can't do it. I must have lost 5,000 pounds in my lifetime. I've tried all the diets. I've tried Weight Watchers, I've tried South Beach, I've tried, you know, Atkins, and haven't tried Jenny, but that, you know, I, I've just, I, I've tried all kinds of diets. You know, one thing I've learned about diets, they condemn me. They tell me how much I can eat, they tell me what the rules are, and I try to obey them, and I do for a while, but there's just some, isn't it true there's just something about rules that our human nature shrinks back from? And isn't it good that Paul, the man God used to write 13 of the books of the New Testament, Aren't you glad that Paul said, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me? I mean, that's what the speed limit signs around town do. They tell me I'm driving too fast. So, Paul said, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Now, guys, this is the reason why I tell you I don't like religion. Religion says if you check these boxes and keep, keep these rules, God will accept you. Bingo. If you can be perfect, God will accept you. How many of you feel perfect? Don't put your hand up. We'll know that you have mental issues if you do that, all right? <laughs> Man, I can't be perfect for one hour. 
Religion says, check these boxes and God will accept you. Okay, that's fine. The problem is we're all out of the water at that point. But God doesn't want you living that kind of life. Here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me, let me just talk to every married person, everybody in a significant relationship. How many of you want to be in a relationship where somebody says, if you do everything I want you to do, I will love you? Oh, could I check out right now, please? I mean, love only happens in a place where people are free to be who they are. When you get married, you take that person just as she is. You take that guy just as he is. Yeah, they're going to be warts and, and problems. This is the reason why we live in this revolving door thing of people looking for new relationships. We like get married and expect this person. By the way, I'm doing a series called Pillow Talk starting the second week of September, Five Secrets of Love and Sex. That's a side. That's for some of the time. But we, people go from one relationship to the next relationship. They're looking for somebody to solve all their issues when real love is, I'm in a relationship with an imperfect person. Boy, I love her. And, I, and she's free to be who she is. He's free to be who he is. God doesn't want robots. God wants you to love. God wants you to do what you do out of love for him. Not because you're afraid he's going to mash you and send you to hell. God, God wants you to, to, to live for him. This is what Paul is saying. I mean, guys, look at this one more time. Paul said, I died to all the rules. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. And this is what's really cool. This is what got me ginned up for this series here, verse 20. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, this gets into a little existential area that's a challenge for me to, again too. But, because here's what happens. And guys, I'm just keeping it real and I'm telling you where my heart is. I'm human. I know everything I've done wrong. And I know where all my failures are. I can wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and just for a brief moment I can answer the question. How could God let a guy like me in heaven? Because I'm going to tell you something. If I were God, I wouldn't let me go to heaven. I mean, heaven's an awesome place. And it's just kind of a moniker. We use the term heaven, but really heaven is just like the place that God has created isn't screwed up like the earth is. I mean, God created the earth in a perfect environment, and we human beings screwed it up. It's a mess, and we know that. It's everlasting life with God in a place that's not fouled up. And I can ask the question, why would God let a guy like me in heaven? I could give you chapter and verse today if I were so inclined. I could give you chapter and verse why I shouldn't be in heaven. How could God let somebody like me into heaven? I'm about to go into a little bit of discussion. It's probably the most important discussion I'll ever have in all my career. Most people see religion like this. God is up here in heaven, and we're down here on the earth, and God is checking us out. He's making a list, checking it twice, seeing if we're naughty or nice. And if we're good enough, he'll let us come into his heaven. That is so messed up. That is so opposite of what God wants. I can't even begin to tell you. And I just freaked some of you out because you grew up in a church where that's what you were taught. God is up in heaven. He's looking down on us. If we mess up, we're going to hell. If we do right, we're going to heaven. No, no, no. no. Listen, guys. What the Bible teaches us is this. What God wants from you more than anything else is he wants you to identify with his son, Jesus Christ. So much so that you're in a union with him. Now, what did Paul just say? He said, I am crucified with Christ. 
Well, I got some issues with that. I was born in 1956. Jesus died in AD 28. 29, maybe. How could I be crucified with Christ? I, I don't have any nail prints in my hands. I don't have any nail prints in my feet. Nobody threw a sword in my side. How can I be crucified with Christ? This is so cool. I can't wait to tell you. Throughout the Bible, there is a common expression that God just repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. And I, and I struggle with it a little bit for maybe obvious reasons. The Bible talks about like what God wants is us to be in such a close union with Christ that we are one. And the only relationship that God can find to compare it to is marriage. And so time and time again, the Bible tells us as the church, that church doesn't mean the building, it means the people. As a church, we are married to Christ. I mean, we're told that, you know, when we get to heaven, the first thing that's going to happen is the marriage feast of the Lamb. That would be, our, be tantamount to a wedding reception for us. Over and over and over, the Bible tells us that we're married to Christ. Now, I struggle with that a little bit. I just have to, like, take it as the Bible says because, you know, for us, when we think about married, we think about all the very nature, human nature of marriage. We must understand that God gave us the relationship of marriage to explain to us the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us in which we are together. Now... This is what helps me understand. You ready for this? Guys, this is so good. For all, for all of you who've been messed up with religion, this, is, this will explain what the Bible is all about. Every April 15th, those of us who may have any income, we have to file taxes, Right? Now, after you, like, put your income and all this stuff and your liabilities and if you get a refund and all that kind of thing, you get down and, and it, you get to that place where it says, how are you filing? For all of you who are married and you file together, you know there is a little box that you check and a line that, is, that accompanies that box that says, married, filing, help me, jointly, Right. That means he may have made some money, she may have made some money, he may have some liabilities, she may have some liabilities, he may get a refund based on his. But it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, they share the liability and they share the refund because they are married filing jointly. That is what God wants from you. He basically wants you to file with his son, Jesus Christ. That's why every weekend I ask you to pray if you haven't prayed to receive Christ. What am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to invite Jesus Christ into your very soul and spirit so that the way God looks at it, you are filing jointly. Well, guess what? I should have died and I should have been punished for all the sins I've committed and will commit. But I'm united with Christ. And he died on the cross. And since we're filing jointly, I'm crucified with Christ. When I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and think, how can a guy like me go to heaven with all my sin? I just have to remember, I'm filing jointly. And Jesus died already for the sins. And when he said it is finished, the way God looked at it, every sin had ever been paid for. And somebody could say, well, Mark, what about my future sins? Well, all of us have, all of our sins were future at that moment. The way God looked at it, sin had been paid for in the person of Jesus Christ. But what about being good enough to go to heaven? What about being, you know, what about being good enough? Because the Bible requires goodness, you know, and, and I, frankly, I haven't done all that many good things. But Jesus did. I mean, he lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years, and we're filing jointly. Let's look at the text one more time. When I tried to keep the law, verse 19 of Galatians 2, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self 
has been crucified with Christ. Now, if you will, just keep your marker there because I want to read to you just, and again, I want to give you some scripture. This is from Romans chapter 8. I love Romans 8. If somebody held me to a wall and said you can only preach one chapter the rest of your life, I'd preach Romans 8. So it's great. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. No condemnation. That's tantamount to saying not guilty. No condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses, that's the religious rules. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. This is why people all times check out on God and check out on church, drop out of church. They just like come in. I had a dear friend tell me this week, a wonderful guy. He said, you know, before I came to New Spring, he said, every church I went to, the only message I ever got was God rejected me. Hmm. God knows we can't keep the law. Look at this. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies, bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Hey, Guys, and I need to hustle on here because I'm running out of time, but you know, a lot of people have the idea, God is a God of love, God is Uncle Sugar, anything I do is okay. No, not, not at all. It is true that God is a God of love. You can go infinitely as far as you want to go in love, and you will find God, but God is also a God of justice. You go infinitely as far as you can go in justice, and God is there. God sweeps nothing under the rug. Our sin had to be punished, and the only way it could be punished was either by us receiving the punishment or Jesus taking our place. And guys, I'm following jointly. I'm following jointly. Is that it? Is that the story? Jesus died in my place. I'm saved. Okay. I'm going to just tap my feet and wait till I go to heaven. Is that how it works? No. The best is yet to come. Let me take you back to Galatians 2 verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's the life I'm living right now? Well, here's the deal. And this is the only way I can think of to explain this. Jesus died when he was 33 years old, didn't he? And we often wonder, what what would have happened if he continued to live on the earth? I'd love that. First of all, if he walked in here today, I'd be so glad to give him this platform. But he didn't. And here's what he told his disciples. He said, hey, guys, it's good for you that I go away. And they thought, boy, that can't be true. Man, we've seen this guy do all kinds of good things. We've seen him do all kinds of wonderful things, help people who are sick and, you know, grant forgiveness and stuff like that. And and Jesus said, yeah, it's better for you that I go away. And here's what he said. Guys, he said, if I go away, I will send my spirit inside of you so that what happens? So that we go out into the world and let God live through us. I don't want to be negative today. Why does the world have such a negative view of Christians? It's because the people who are supposed to be in this sort of following jointly grace life have somehow veered off into religion. They came in and accepted Christ. They veered off into religion. They can't keep the law, and they like have this stinking hypocrisy going on. Look at me. I keep the law. I carry my Bible to church. I'm, and, but then the rest of the week, they just kind of like go back to the old way of life. God doesn't want you living that way. 
He wants to live through you. And God's Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. And if we will yield to his spirit in our lives, our lives can be awesome. And beyond that, God can work in our lives. And, and that's what I see happening at New Spring. I mean, I, I talked to some of you, and, and it hasn't been long since you accepted Christ, but your life is just so transformed. And here's one thing. It's almost like, I don't know if any of you saw that old movie from the early 90s with, um, um, I can't think of the actress name, but it was called Regarding Henry, where he was a cruddy lawyer and he got amnesia. And, and he was, yeah, Harrison Ford, thank you. I mean, it's like he just like had this awful life and didn't remember it, and he began to live a completely different life. Well, that's Hollywood. But this is kind of what God is talking about. God is saying, look, before you came to know Christ, you were all screwed up. But after you come to him, you're a new person. It's like you don't have to remember that who you used to be. And so many of you are living that life. Maybe the simplest verse to explain this is Philippians 1 verse 21, where Paul said, just a simple statement. if, If you want to know who I am, I would use this. He said, for to me to live is Christ, his life in me, and to die is gain. Christ living in me. Christ working through me. Let me, forgive me for being personal for a moment. You guys are so kind to me. There's not a pastor in the country that gets the love that you guys give me. And every weekend, people are so gracious, and they write me, and they email me, and television viewers email me and stuff, and they say things about, oh, man, you know. And, and it really probably gets, makes Mary Alice laugh because she knows who I really am, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If there's anything about Mark Hoover you like, it's him living in me. Because sometimes when people talk to me about what happens through what I do, and they write me and they tell me about how their lives are changed, I'll close my office door and say, God, I don't even understand it myself. It's got to be some kind of gift because I don't understand it. That is Jesus living in me. And if you will let him, he will actually live through you i got to stop because I'm out of time. Isn't this sweet? I mean, next week we'll pick this up. Um, Can we just pray for a moment? I could be talking to somebody here today, and you say, Mark, I'm all over what you talked about today. Man, the idea of of following jointly with Jesus, that's pretty sweet. And being crucified with Christ and being changed and being a new person. How does that happen? Well, how do you, what what do you, what do you have to say to get married? I mean, when I marry a couple, it only takes about 10, 12 minutes, you know. I don't make the bride or the groom, especially the groom recite the Gettysburg Address or anything like that. Most grooms are just trying to keep their knees together long enough to stay up there. I mean, I'm just looking for a yes. Any affirmative thing will do. I do, I will, yeah. And I'm kidding with you a little bit, but let me just tell you this. If you're going to get a union with Jesus Christ, the heavy lifting has already been done by Jesus What God is looking for from you is a surrender of your yes, which you will say, yes, Lord, I will have Jesus in my life. And I'm talking to some of you today, you're saying, yeah, could that really be? Would you take a chance on God? 
If you would, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray the line slowly because, listen, Romans 10 verse 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever is you, it's me. I'm going to pray a prayer that calls on the Lord. And if you mean it from your heart, God will listen to your prayer. I'm pray it slowly so I want to give you a chance to think about each line. Savor it and mean it. Here we go. Jesus. I believe you died to pay for my sin. I believe that you arose from your grave. And that you're in heaven listening to me right now. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to save me. Thank you for transforming my life. According to your promise, we are now filing jointly. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you prayed that prayer with me, do us both a favor. When you came in today, you got this little thing that says identify. Part of it's detachable. If you would fill out your name and address and check a box that says, I pray with Christ. I have a little, pray with Mark to accept Christ. I have a little gift I want to give you. It's got some DVDs and cool stuff that will like develop what we've talked about today and take you to a deeper level. It's free. It won't cost you anything. It's our gift to you. At New Spring, we're not trying to puff our church up. We just want you to know Jesus. That's what matters most to us. It's free. If you put your name and address on there, I'll mail it to you this week. If you don't like to wait and you're like me, you don't have to wait. All I have to do is bring this card right back to the middle where I'm pointing to either guest services or New Spring store. Just give them the card and say, I prayed with Mark. And they'll give this to you, and you can take it home with you today.